This is the show with Cannon Brown. In photography, it's so easy to say, I have a camera, I have Photoshop, why don't my pictures look like yours? And I always have to remind people that I've been doing this for a really long time. And there's so much of it that's practice and so much of it that becomes intuition and second nature. That last few minutes might have been a little confusing. You'd like to know who I was talking to, wouldn't you? What's up, guys, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Cannon Brown, and I have got a fantastic guest today. We're basically best friends. She's an incredible photographer. She's got an incredible story from uh, kind of being from a consumer bias at first when she was growing up and then later getting into the industry through marriage, um, but now she's full-blown. Miss Heidi Anderson and her husband, Charles, are the owner and operators of Legacy Livestock. Uh, Ever heard of it? Pretty good images, pretty good photographers. Uh, You might have seen them at a couple shows. They've got a huge staff that works for them, incredible staff. Uh, Heidi's awesome. We're basically uh, the bestest of friends now. Uh, And you'll see that in this next interview. You can tell that there's a spark there between Heidi and I. Uh, And it's a good, it's a great friendship that we just created. So hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, Really quick before I let you loose, like and subscribe, share, all that jazz. Uh, Follow me on Instagram at the show pod. Leave a rating. That'd be cool. Leave a five star rating and a comment. I love it. Uh, But with that being said, let's do it. Miss Heidi Anderson. You're safer here than any place else. Now just lock yourself in and keep quiet. Hello, Cannon. Hey, Heidi. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm just hanging out. How's the hotel? Oh, I love Fairfields. <laughs> They're <laughs> pretty nice. If I can nice. get a fair, if the new ones, the old ones are still kind of sketchy. Yeah. But the new ones are so nice. I mean, it's like if I can get a new Hampton, a new Ham- a Hampton or a new Fairfield, I'm pretty set. Yeah, that's one thing I always uh, kind of put a lot of emphasis on when I'm traveling is the hotel and basically all I'm looking for is water pressure in a good hotel room. <laughs> water pressure, clean and a bed and I'm friggin' old. Exactly. I need a bed that's decent now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I mean, I'm still pretty young and those are my the, the foundations <laughs> I look for too, so don't don't think you're different. <laughs> my husband always says, I I judged in college, no matter where we stay now, it is not the worst place I've ever stayed. <laughs> I can go ahead and s- agree with him um, uh-huh. on judging trips. <laughs> You know, sometimes you're only going to stay there for three hours in one night. So the coaches don't want to spend a lot of money. They're just like, all right, we're going to find this little place. Um, Looks a little sketchy, but we'll be out in three hours and it'll be fine. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He said they were doing Dixie Nationals one year and they stayed somewhere before they got there. Um, So it was somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And he said they were in there for an hour and they're judging and his judging coach made them get leave the hotel and sleep in the van. (laughs) That oh night. gosh. Because <laughs> it was so bad. Because he thought the van was better than the actual hotel yes. room. That's when you know it's bad. Yes, exactly. You know bad. Well, <laughs> I mean, you have to be kind of used to the hotel life now. You travel quite a bit. I think we were out just shy of 40 weeks last year. 40 weeks traveling. Yeah. And predominantly hotels. Yeah. Well, you ever we look for like really Airbnbs? Got- we actually, for a lot of the big shows, when I'm when I'm going to be some, when we're there somewhere longer than, say, three or four days, we always do an Airbnb. Yeah, that makes sense. And those have been we have certain ones in certain cities that we go to over and over again. Like we always go to the same one in Louisville. Oh, nice. So stuff like that, and 
it just is nice. And if I'm going to be somewhere more than four days, I want to unpack. That's my other thing. Yeah. I, yeah, you want to put stuff in a closet, maybe some drawers. I, yes. I definitely understand. It's it's horrible living out of a suitcase. You got to pick and pick through stuff, and it's it's not worth it. Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm one of those people. I'm just lazy enough to not want to leave the car more than once. So I've gotten really efficient about packing like one suitcase, my camera bag, <laughs> yeah, and then like one other really small bag. And I'm like, if I'm gone longer than that, then I've got other issues. Yeah, you, so, there's no chance I'm taking two trips back to the car. <laughs> there's no way i'm packing everything <laughs> exactly i'm like if i can't get to my hotel room in one trip then i've got packed too much <laughs> <laughs> exactly well i mean uh you're kind of used to traveling for your whole life basically so yeah uh, much. i mean you you're kind of used to packing light and, and being ready to go yep exactly now exactly. you were a you're a pastor's kid and an air force brat yeah my dad was a colonel in the air force so, and also a pastor, or was and he a also pastor? A pastor. He well, he a... would do kind of on and off. Sometimes he was more full time with um, the military, and sometimes more full time with the ministry. He's a Lutheran pastor, so um, regardless of whether um, where we were at as far as the ministry goes, um, he was always in the reserves at least, oh, or in wow. the National Guard. And then by the time after nine eleven happened, I think he got deployed five times before he retired. So it was a lot easier when we weren't on war footings. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh. So you basically, uh, I mean, I know the email that you sent me, you had um, lived in five states. You visited 48 states before yep. high school. Yep. How was uh, kind of living on bases or, or just traveling that much? I mean, Living on to... bases. And then we never really lived very close to um, family. Yeah. So we always had to visit and travel and stuff like that. My parents made a, a big deal out of, you know, my dad's family all lives in Seattle. And so we would, you know, if we were living in the Midwest, we would go get there by going through Colorado and Nevada and California and going up. And then on the way back, we would come back through Montana and Idaho. And we would always stop in all of those states because they knew I'm neither one of them left the state they grew up in growing up. And just were really definitive about making sure that we understood that the experiences that we were having, not everybody else did. Yeah. So. Not, not a lot of people have that at all. Uh, no. Especially a lot of soft joke kids do. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. <laughs> of course, but, they like, never see the cities outside of the barn. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you go to like the state fairgrounds or something like that. That's usually not in the best part of the uh, state. Oh, I know. Well, it was funny because in like high school and the beginning of college, when we lived in Kansas, when my parents first moved to Kansas, we would always go to the Kansas State Fair. And we would, of course, go and do all the rides and go to all the buildings and see all the exhibits and maybe peek in and look at the alpacas, you know? Yeah, you never went to the actual stock show. No. no. And my husband was like, I have no idea where anything is outside of the barns and the, at the state fair. Like we were always at the state, both of us always did state fair, but <laughs> on completely different perspectives. That's kind of funny, actually. It is. It is. So now when you were uh, traveling um, in school, when, when you were like making friends, did you just, did you kind of know it was temporary? You're just like, yeah, I'm going to know you for like a, a year or two years, maybe, but then I'm out. Um, I mean, I still, I made friendships, but I think they weren't quite as close of friendships. 
um, because you didn't really get to spend as much time getting to know people. And before social media, I mean, I'm, you know, definitely old enough to have, you know, you had maybe had a pen pal that you kept up with. Yeah. But um, I actually still have a friend that I still keep up with now that I went to kindergarten and first grade with in Alaska. So, oh, wow. You lived in families... Alaska? Yeah. All right. Well, let's just hear the states he actually def- <laughs> like de- definitive lived in. So Alaska. Definitive lived in. I was actually, I'm a born Iowegian. Oh, wow. So <laughs> I was born in Iowa three weeks before my dad graduated from seminary. Oh, so I lived in Iowa for about four weeks. So, so was, born in Iowa for four weeks, Iowa. and then you're out. <laughs> then I'm out. I was like, peace out, Iowa. But you still, it's it's still a claim to fame. You can still it say, is. hey. I know. I drive through Dubuque all the time now. There you go. So. Yeah, you got to show your support. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Washington. Washington. Beautiful uh, state. Oh, Oh, yeah. Well, that's and it is if I had to call anywhere home, like where I was from, it would definitely be from there because every Christmas break, summer break, um, any kind of break from school we had growing up, my dad's whole family is there. And so all of my cousins and all of my aunts and uncles and my grandparents are all still there. Nice. So my mom actually lives in Washington. What part? Uh, Kennewick. It's It's like the eastern side of Washington. Yeah, see, we were Western Washington, that Olympia, um, Tacoma. Area. Oh, that's prettier. So. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I had I'm family. I had family across the Sound um, in Bremerton. Yep. Uh, I had family that lived up there for a long time, and that was just beautiful, beautiful it's area. Stunning. Well, and we have two of my uncles and my grandparents all lived on the Sound. Oh, nice. Um, so we spent most of the time growing up in the water. My grandparents would set crab pots and we'd go dig clams and i thought every kid had dungeness crab for their afternoon snack you know i wish <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> okay so washington what came after washington then it was alaska alaska i am really really jealous that you just said that <laughs> i, I want to go to alaska so bad i want to go back i haven't been back since i was a kid so there's a lot of these states and a lot of these places that I visited when I was little or that we lived in when I was little that I haven't been back to as an adult. Like I've not been to New York since I was a kid. Yeah. So it's like there's some of these places I'd like that I, you know, definitely ticked off my list. But there's a difference between seeing them at through the eyes of an eight year old and seeing them through the eyes of a not eight year old. So you've got <laughs> to go back to Alaska and, and uh, photograph their state fair because they show some they show reindeer. I know. I've got to get an in there. I got to yeah. find somebody who, you know, I was like, if you pay my way up there, we'll do it for free. So if any listeners on your podcast are from the Alaska State Fair, hook me up. I think I've got like four downloads in Alaska. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> well, actually, like the Alaska State, like the Alaska 4-H program, like likes our page and all that kind of stuff. Oh, nice. So. Yeah. Well, maybe uh, from... maybe we'll reach out. We'll find a way to reach out. There you go. <laughs> No, but how was Alaska? Do you remember it at all? What age were you then? Oh, I was, I I guess we moved there when I was four. My sister was born there. And then we left when I was about eight. Okay. So, um, but it was really magical to see through the eyes of being a little kid. Because um, the place where we lived was called Petersburg, which is surrounded by mountains. It's an island. It's a fishing island. 
Um, and it, it was just, I mean, it was magical would be like the best word to say. Cause you could watch, you knew when it was this winter was going to start because you could watch the snow coming down the mountains. Um, cause obviously the higher mountains was, yeah. would get snow before us. Um, but then once you were socked in, you're talking five, six feet of snowpack all winter. Oh, wow. And it was absolutely beautiful. I feel sorry for my mom because she had little kids and it would get <laughs> during the winter, it would get dark at three o'clock in the afternoon. The, well, that's what I was just about to ask you about the, yeah. the sun. And it would, it, yeah. And then it would try and try to get three little kids to bed at, you know, eight o'clock at night when it doesn't get dark until midnight. <laughs> yeah. So. Gosh, that would be horrible. <laughs> I know. It wasn't until I was mom. I was like, oh, mom, I'm so sorry. We had to have been impossible. Oh, gosh, so. I can't even imagine that. It's because it, the last thing you want to do when the sun is out is go to sleep. That must mess exactly. up a kid's schedule. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. She said that part was awful. But we my dad was the pastor of a the Petersburg is actually little Norway. Oh. And so it was this beautiful little Norwegian church. Um. That when we lived in the parsonage, which was right across the street, and I would get to walk across the street and go to work with my dad. And it was just, it was amazing. Although during the winter, they didn't have formal trash service in Petersburg. So you had to pack up your trash and take it to the dump, which was the highlight of our week because there were bears at the dump. Oh, so it was like going my. to the zoo. <laughs> there were bears and moose. And all of that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, I guess that's why they call it the last frontier. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's probably, I'm sure they have trash service during the winter there now, but in the 80s, not so much. (laughs) In the 80s, uh, go over there with them bears. They won't touch you. No, no. They're they're probably distracted by the trash. They're loving that trash, I bet. Oh, that has to be like the best place in the world for a bear. Yeah. I mean, it has to be, especially at a fishing village. It's like they don't even have to catch the fish, they just have to go and. Get the scraps. <laughs> Get the scraps is probably good. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so Alaska, uh, two more. And then we went to Western Kansas. Western Kansas. Uh, a little bit of a change. Well, well, my parents say that it was colder the first night that they lived in Goodland, Kansas, than it was the entire time they lived in Alaska. Because <laughs> <laughs> that... it was, they were right in the middle of an ice storm. Oh, gosh. And the thing about Alaska is it gets cold, but then there's snowpack. And it's not that ungodly cold because we were a little further south. I mean, like once you get up into Nome and stuff like that, then it's minus 45 all the time. But where we were and it was dry, very dry, um, cold. And it, we, they came in during one of those classic Western Kansas ice storms. And it was, you know, a million miles an hour wind with no wind breaks. Oh, so it was, she said, they, my mom was like, this was the worst decision we ever made. <laughs> I cannot stand wind. If I can't either. If that's one weather that I just absolutely, absolutely hate, it's the yeah. worst. And wind and cold yeah. together, I'm just not a fan. And I can't even tell you how many times we've shot bowls and ranches and uh, cold is not my, f- I would rather stand outside in hundred degree heat every day of the week and twice on Sunday than, you know, 14 degrees with a blowing wind. And that's awful. Well, it never, it never feels like you're putting on enough like jackets because that wind will just bite through every single piece of clothing you have. It's, 
It's the worst. And I, oh, when yeah. I lived up in Wyoming, I mean, we don't really have a lot of wind in Arizona. We do, but like, it's always so hot that you don't notice it. Yeah. When I went up to Wyoming, uh, Casper is really windy. And I was just, that was the one thing I was just like, I am dumbfounded by how brutal this wind is. Oh, you've got to come to Kansas during the winter then where it's a little bit more humid. Oh. And get the wind and the cold. And there's certain times of the year you open the door and it'll just suck the air right out of you because oh. the humidity makes it so much colder. It's awful. <laughs> yeah, I might not come to Kansas, actually. <laughs> <laughs> just come in the spring when the Flint Hills are rolling and green. Yes. And yes, then the we'll just pretend like that's where it, where, that's the way it is all the time. Honestly, like when I drove, we drove through the Flint Hills a couple of times uh, while I was on uh, judging team. And that's every time we drove through, I was like, dang, this would be a great place to live. It is. Yes. It's just gorgeous. It really, really is. And it's one of those kind of people don't think about it until you're there. And especially if you're a fan of cattle, there is nothing, in my opinion, more beautiful than cattle grazing on the Flint Hills in the middle of spring after they've burned. And all of that grass has come up and it's just like neon green when it comes back and you've got, you know, it's just, it's the most peaceful thing on the earth watching the sunset over it. So of all the places I've traveled, people always ask me, is there anywhere else you'd rather live? Where do you want to live? Like, you know, what other state would you go back to? And I don't think I would live anywhere other than Kansas at this point. Dang. So, So, but you ended up moving again. Moved again. Um, actually moved to Missouri. Um, oh, my dad was no. Well, Western Kansas to Missouri is still quite it, a little jaunt. It's a ways. Yeah, it's a way. <laughs> it's but a way. I was talking like Alaska to Kansas. Oh yeah, true. Um, my dad had a was um, at Richards Cabarrus Air Force Base, which is closed now and has been for a number of years. And um, that would have been where I graduated from high school. So. And then my folks ended up, um, after I graduated from high school, moving to Topeka. And um, I came back for six months to help kind of my sister. My parents were just busy with work and stuff. And I said, okay, I'll take six months. I'll take one semester off of school. And then I'm going to go back and help with my, my, you know, my brother and sister were still in school, high school and stuff like that. And um, that was 25 years ago. So, and I'm now the only one who lives in Topeka. Wow. (laughs) Everybody else moved on. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone else moved on, but you just, you liked it enough to stay. I don't even know about that. I I got, I had kids there. Yeah. And so, and it is a good place to raise kids and stuff like that. I feel like we'll probably end up moving out towards the Manhattan area. We've got eventually, but we had to wait until all of the kidlings are out of school. So. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Got to wait for the big transition. Oh, yeah. But we're almost there. We're almost there. We're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not a train anymore. Now, when you're growing so. up and, and moving around a bunch, you you said to me that you grew up kind of in a, a consumer bias uh, towards the industry. Yes. Now, now that you're kind of in it, can you look back and, and even imagine how you thought about it when you were in the consumer phase? Honestly, what it does is um, makes me significantly more aware of how ignorant the general public is to what we do and the realities of agriculture. And when I say ignorant, I mean ignorant in the most blissful, yes, 
unknowing sense, not dumb, not, but just not informed. Exactly. Because I mean, when coming from the consumer side, um, you know, I would buy and, you know, people are going to, I'm going to get hate mail for this cannon. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> I was buying the antibiotic for chicken. I was buying the organic milk. You know, because it sounds, if you don't know, it sounds right. It does. It sounds, I mean, when you want to do what you feel like is best for your kids and what's best for, um, and what's healthy, uh, they make such a good case if you really don't know. And I, when I, I went back to Seattle area this past fall for about four days and still have my grandmother's 101 and went back and visited her and some of my aunts and uncles and cousins. And we were sitting out on the deck and I started getting peppered with all these questions about um, GMOs and about feed yards and things like that. And this is my family. Yeah. And they were so hungry to learn about it. Um, like something in the back of their head said, this doesn't sound right. You know, there's got to be another side to this. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we get insulated within our circles within agriculture that, and we just kind of roll our eyes and like, people are so dumb. Well, they aren't always dumb. They just don't always have all the information. And, you know, when, one of my uncles was like, okay, well, what about that non-GMO orange juice? I mean, is there an orange juice? I mean, should I, should I get that or should I get the other kind? And I was like, well, since all orange juice is non-GMO orange juice, you're probably pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, all, um, it's the labels. Ugh. It's the labels. And, you know, and there's, you know, you hear things about um, people being brutal within feed yards and things like that. And they're like, well, what about all of these calves that grow up their entire lives in feed yards? And I was just like, whoa. <laughs> um, if there's a calf born in a feed yard, it's a big oops. Yeah. Yeah. Big oops. <laughs> big oops. <laughs> Should not be you know? happening. And I was like, to be honest, everything you eat is grass fed at some point. And for the majority of their life is grass fed. Yeah. So, you know, and it's just, but, you know, and they just were so hungry to learn about it. And I think, you know, there's an awful lot of people in our society at large outside of the people that we deal with every day that are hungry for that information and do want it. One of my favorite stories is I was on an airplane and I tend to, when I get on airplanes, I just want to shut everybody out. And I put my big headphones on and that's usually my don't talk to me <laughs> stance. <laughs> And I hadn't put them on yet for some reason. And I had gotten upgraded, God bless Delta, to first class. And I, But I hadn't put my headphones on yet. And I was just in, getting ready to enjoy the nice leg room and all of that stuff. And this gal sits down next to me. Looks nice enough. And I pop up in my laptop. And, of course, there's cows all over it. And she starts talking to me. And she is – I was traveling to San Francisco – and she was from San Francisco. Oh, yeah. And she started talking about um, how she is in charge of one of these anti-GMO groups. And we proceeded to have almost a four-hour conversation. And she was educated. Like, I mean, a highly educated woman. And 
she was smart enough to listen. Yeah. But I also came from a stance of not saying she was being dumb. You know, I was like, okay, well, here's these facts. Here's what this is. You know, if people are mean to cattle in feed yards, they don't produce, you know, there, you know, there's every single cattleman that I know has given up their coat for a calf in the middle of winter, sometimes multiple times a day. And that means they are walking around in 14 degree weather with no coat. Um, and by the time we landed, she was, she was like, well, I'm not going to say I agree with you with, on everything, but I know I need to do my research better. And if that's, that's even all you the, can do. And if, even if we can take those tiny steps of, you know, being able to talk without being accusatory and being able to listen, because I think for the most part, and this may be me being too optimistic about things, but that even people who don't have the same way, think the same way we do about it are still coming to it from a place that is good in their heart, that they feel like they're doing right. Yes. But that they don't always have the right information. Like I don't, you know, there are people out there who do things to be hateful. I'm not going to lie about that. But I think the vast majority of people try to do things right. Yeah. I would have to agree um, with you. And I, I mean, I work as a butcher. I, mm -hmm. I have a lot of people asking me uh, if this meat is safe or if the chicken that has an organic label is different from the chicken that we put out in bulk packaging. Right. And at first, I... I'll be honest, like it start. it was annoying. It was annoying to me that they were asking that. I'm like, just what are you thinking? Like, it, cause I, I don't know why, but I just think that everybody should have this knowledge. Right. But then after a couple of times and I started talking to these people, they just want to know what the best thing to do is. They, they don't want to eat anything that's going to harm them. They don't want to cook anything that's going to harm their kids or their husband or their right. wife. And when you look at it from that perspective, you just have to tell them the facts. And if they want to listen, they want to listen. If they don't, they're just going to do what they're going to do anyway. Well, and what people that, you know, people don't understand the withdrawal times on exactly. anything, you know, and yeah. people who say they want something that's never had an antibiotic in its life. And I'm like, you know, you kind of have to look at them and say, okay, if your kid was sick and there's an awful lot of these farmers that look at these animals like their kids if your kid was sick, would you not give him an antibiotic to make him feel better? And all of a sudden, they're just kind of like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Exactly. And then you kind of go through, you know, every species has a different withdrawal time or a different time where they have to be in holding for all of that to go through their system yeah. um, before they're even before they can legally do anything with them, you know. Yeah, I've had that conversation a couple times as well. And it's it's really cool to see their face just after you're like, yeah, there's these things called withdrawal times. And if it's in this certain time, they can't be harvested. So right. it's it's flushed out of the system. And then they're just like, really? They And then usually there's responses, why don't they tell us this? Exactly. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and it goes back to us being able to learning and I think we're so much better at it now than we used to be, but there's so much room for improvement. Those activist groups are really good at telling their story. Mm -hmm. We need to be better. We, I, we need to be a hundred percent better. And it's hard. It's hard though, because we are only 2% of the population right. and it's, it's very that we have a lot against us. 
Yep. Um, those animal rights groups have a lot more people that have joined in just because of emotion and yes. just because of... Because of the one idiot that they get on YouTube. Exactly. There's an idiot in every group. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's kind of like going down to, you know, every time you see a hurricane thing and you go down, the one person they interview is the old lady in her nightdress with no teeth. Yep. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's like... Really, there's like a million ungodly, unbelievably educated people, a lot of which you've had on your show, um, that are so good at telling their story, you know, but it's going to take a hundred of us to a hundred of us or a thousand of us to counteract the one idiot they caught on YouTube doing something stupid. You're right. That none of us approve of either. Yeah. So I, yeah, none of us approve of gosh, it's the worst when those videos come out because Everyone that actually loves this industry and loves animals, I I don't even want to watch them. I can't watch those videos. It breaks my heart. I I, I don't even want to see what they do. Even if not, if anything, it makes I think it hurts our hearts more because yep. we know what work we put into it. We exactly. know we you know we have visceral connections with those animals and with this lifestyle. And so when you see something getting hurt deliberately. It, I think it makes our hearts hurt worse than, you know, a standard housewife. So, yeah, I, yeah, a standard housewife just scrolling Facebook and hitting like and share on a PETA post yeah. or yeah. anybody for that matter. I mean, I really think yeah. they're targeting young people and it's, who it's are working idealistic for them. and who are, who want what's, you know, who want to make a better world, but they're not getting all the information. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get back to your story. We might come to okay. this later. <laughs> let's, uh, so let's talk about business school. Yes. Uh, you got a degree in finance. I did, you know, because I thought I was going to be a stockbroker. Did you? So, yeah. <laughs> do you like the stock market? I do. I don't. I buy and sell cows now, which is way riskier. Yeah. <laughs> well, we need to talk after this, see if you have any hot tips. <laughs> exactly. I've been getting into it just... a little bit lately. I'm trying to learn more. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's it's um, it's a beast. It's a it's hard to it's hard. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I was well. I was, and it was uh, at a very young family in college. Um, Charles and I are second marriages. Okay. So I had a very young family in college, and it was the most responsible degree I could possibly get. Um. <laughs> Even though from the day I could remember, I was carrying a camera. My parents had us either carry a camera or write um, with all these places that we traveled because they were acutely aware um, of how our traveling was different from a lot of other kids growing up. So I can't remember. I mean, I'm sure I wasn't five years old with a camera, but I can't remember a time in my life where there wasn't a camera involved. So that's, that's really special that your parents like had the hindsight to, oh, like, yeah. you know what? They're going to love to watch this journey when they're older. Oh, and my parents have, and they always did everything with slides. Oh, and so nice. they still have trays and trays and trays of slides from, you know, Washington and Alaska and all of these other places. And, you know, but I think it was my dad always taught us how to appreciate where we were. And I think that brings a different sense of contentment, um, you know, that you 
of course, as glorious as the mountains and the ocean were in, you know, Washington and Alaska, the sunset on in Western Kansas is about as close as heaven as you can get. <laughs> so especially when the wheat's getting ready to get harvested, it's just yeah. is being able to see and coming from a pastoralist, be able to see God in everything and in different parts of creation, but also to see beauty in all of it as well. Well, that makes sense that you're a photographer now. I mean, growing if you were <laughs> if you grew up with a uh, a camera in your hand from the time yeah. you could walk, it's pretty ingrained in your mindset to have it in your hands at all times. Well, it's just how I've always experienced everything. I feel yeah. like sometimes you know, and this was before cell phones, so you couldn't really walk around with a cell phone taking pictures of everything growing up. So, you know, you had to learn how to use a camera. And I mean, even in my professional career, my first two professional cameras were film cameras. I was going to ask you, I was going to say, did you get in before digital? Because yep. I mean, that's the mark of a true photographer, right? If you got it in is, before digital. It is. Well, and it's, you can always tell the photographers who learned how to shoot film because you really have to know how a camera works and yeah. you really have to know how every single one of those settings works because there's no guessing. You can't look at the back of the camera to see if the exposure is right. Exactly. You just have to know. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my dad's been a photographer for almost like 30 years now. Yeah. And I remember distinctly when I was growing up, when digital started to become uh, more prominent and mm -hmm. he started, started on film but more and more people would be like, yeah, I'm a photographer. Or my, mm -hmm. my sister's a photographer. Or my brother's a photographer. And he, he would just go off on people sometimes. He's like, you're not a photographer just because you bought a camera. Like you don't, it's just digital. Yeah. You just take a picture and you get on your computer. I might be calling some people out right now. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, like, it's cool. Like everyone wants to take pictures. I, I think that's awesome. You want to document everything you do, but. Just because you have a camera and make a Facebook page doesn't mean you're a photographer. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and there's a lot more. And actually, Kyla Copeland and I were having a conversation about this earlier today. Um, there's so much more that goes into the business of being a photographer than a lot of people realize. It is absolutely the most fun job I and mean, we have the most fun job in agriculture. Kyla and I, I mean, there's a number of us that do this for a living. And we are blessed to deal with the most amazing people I've ever known. Um, being able to go onto different people's ranches and to be at shows and be able to experience everybody's best days and to be able to console a day, a kid on a day where they maybe didn't have their best day is, it is seriously the most rewarding thing in the entire world but that is about 10 percent of what we do <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. so you, you there's only get a, to have fun when you're like not editing yeah. and stuff like that and well there's the editing and there's and, the bookkeeping yeah. and there's the staff management and there's the travel um last week i traveled from home to nebraska to northeast oh, to stillwater to Wichita and then back home in six days. That's so there's too many a places. lot of drive times. That's too many places. <laughs> That's a lot of places. It's a lot of time in the car listening That's to podcasts. What's that? Listening to podcasts. What's your course. favorite podcast? Uh, that's a loaded question, Cannon. Okay. Um, 
not I don't want to know your favorite agriculture podcast. I just want to know like what's your what's your guilty pleasure podcast that okay. there ha- there doesn't have to be any like educational info, just what's your favorite one? Okay, so I have to do this. I only listen to agriculture podcasts. Okay. As far as podcasts go. But I am absolutely hooked on audiobooks. Audiobooks. And usually, yes. And like crime novels and things that keep my mind super engaged. So, like, I'll listen to an hour podcast and then I'll listen to like three or four hours of a book. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, let me rephrase the question What book are you listening to right now? Oh, I just finished a book. Oh, shoot. What is it called? It's a book about, and I can't think of the name. Um, and I just finished it on my drive. I'm actually in Nebraska now, just finished it on my drive. And it is about, um, this, and it's actually based on true stories of these women who delivered books, um, in Eastern Kentucky right after world war II as part of the WPA projects, um, is a pack horse library. And they would go into the Hills and into, um, these really, really rural areas, um, where education was little to none. Um, and deliver library books and teach families how to read and stuff like that. And it was absolutely amazing. Wow. That actually sounds pretty cool. (laughs) It was really good. (laughs) It was really good. Um, Now, uh, I put in the uh, little outline. I said I wanted you to admit that being a wedding photographer is the worst job in the world. I know. Will you admit it? I will not admit it. Really? Really? I did. I have done in excess of 250 weddings in my career. Oh, my gosh. I did one last week. That was Ohio. I did um, Dylan and Taylor Shirt Spa's wedding. And um, I'm actually in Nebraska in the Kearney area right now. I did an engagement session today. I'll do one in Thedford tomorrow. And I. that being said... They are the hardest thing I do. <laughs> okay. That's... And I refuse to do them for people I don't know anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. When I did them, you know, because I, before um, Charles and I got married, um, I was doing, you know, 25 weddings a year, usually 20 to 25. Some, I think my highest year was 30, but it was a lot of people I didn't know. Um, I know there's a lot of referrals, so I sort of knew some people, but that's ungodly stressful because you don't know what kind of a situation you're walking into. Exactly. You don't know. You don't know families. their taste. You don't know what no. they like. I like having a bunch of groomsmen who are all fitters and are half scared of me anyway. Exactly. And used to listening to me at the backdrop or in the picture pin. Yeah. And I, I, they're just enough scared of me still that I'm all good. And I can tell them to stop messing around and they'll listen to me. So. No, that makes yeah. sense. And I, I, I will bring up my dad again. He's my only tie to photography. Yeah. Um, but he he used to do a lot of weddings. He's in a, a school photography right now. Oh, right um, on. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, a marketing director for school photography just because I think it's just because like that's the only photography that's not going away. Right. <laughs> so he's just like, yeah, I'm going to get in here. But it is. And a lot of your older um, people who are established professional photographers from 15, 20 years ago. Um, event in school photography is has been a really good, re- really good transition. Yeah, um, I'm in, still involved in a lot of um, state and national professional photography associations, um, and so I still do a lot of things with people who are not at all 
associated with agriculture because I honestly, I think it keeps me creative. Um, but then, you know, they are all just like, okay, how are you able to make a living and have staff with, you know, as a professional photographer now? And I'm like, because I'm really lucky that I get to work with the most amazing group of people in the world. And, you know, I had somebody, I had two mentors early on, um, one that was, I interned under and one that I shared a studio with and they were the best teachers I could have ever asked for. Um, and just being able to watch how they ran their businesses and they're both retired now, which is awful, but (laughs) (laughs) I bet they'll come out of retirement for you though. Sometimes actually one of the guy I shared a studio with, um, who I learned all of my basic Photoshop from, he was, is, was then, and still is a beta tester for Photoshop. Oh, wow. So yeah. Anytime something you, they even consider bringing something new out, he, te- he's one of the testers on it. And he was one of the pioneers in like painting using Photoshop and stuff like that. Um, that's how the work of his Photoshop memory from oh, his so brain and put it into mine. Oh, even as much as I've worked with him over the last 20 years, um, he's forgotten more than I know about Photoshop, but mm. he's kind of the one who's taught me how to do like a lot of our, um, why our stuff looks maybe a little bit different is it's usually a combination of 20 different things. And there's different reasons why you use different things and when you use different things and, you know, being able to layer something differently so that you can paint through it is um, all stuff that I learned from him. But he has um, done a couple of Andes photo shoots for me and gone with me on a couple of different ranch shoots. And so I've actually hired him a couple of times which was extremely gratifying for me <laughs> to be able to say, <laughs> I get to hire my mentor. <laughs> so That is, that's actually really cool that you can kind of bring him in and, and he gets to yeah. see a different side of it too. Oh, and he has absolutely loved it. So it's been really neat. Now that he is retired, he's like, Hey, do you have anything you need me for? Do you have anything? I'm like, yes, John. I nice. got <laughs> he's looking for work now. He's itching. Yeah. He's itching. Now, you do a lot of internships now. Yes. Um, let's let's talk about those a little bit. Is that because you took that internship? You were just like, you know what? I really like that experience. I'm going to start my own or? Yeah, basically, um, that those two guys, and honestly, there are several guys within Kansas Professional Photographers Association that when I started my photography business, invested in me. Um. And I wouldn't be half of the photographer I am now if they hadn't. Um, They were critical of me when I needed them to be critical of me. And they were my biggest cheerleaders. Um, I can't even remember how many phone calls and excited whoops and hollers the first time I had a loan image that went nationally, um, which is a big deal through the PPA stuff. Um, And I beat a couple of them to do it. But they were the first ones to, you know, be on their feet and, you know, I, but if they hadn't been critical of those images in the first place, they wouldn't have gotten there. So, exactly. Exactly. Um, but it made such an impression on me that I feel like if you are blessed enough to be successful, then you need to be able to give back. And there's only 
And in photography, it's so easy to say, I have a camera. Um, I have Photoshop. Why don't my pictures look like yours? And I always have to remind people that I've been doing this for a really long time. Um, And there's so much of it that's practice and so much of it that becomes intuition and second nature. And what Charles and I always say is, if you give me somebody who can see it, who can see confirmation in cattle, who can see the artistic side, I can teach you everything else. I can teach you the technical side. I can teach you the Photoshop skills. I can teach you. I can't teach you to see it. And it's always kind of, I always feel like we're throwing them to the wolves the first time. The first day we're just like, okay, here's a camera. I just want you to go shoot. You're not going to be the only person in a ring. I just want you to shoot it alongside the person in the ring. And then we're going to go through your images. And it's, I know it's nerve wracking as all get out (laughs) for them, but you know, then we can go through them and say, okay, you know, here's how we're going to have to tweak these settings. And then we start going through part of it gives us an idea of where they are on their camera skills. Um, but then the rest of it is, you know, I can see, and we have different people on our staff and different people that we work with. And some people are incredibly artistic, but they can't always see that half second of when that cap is exact. Yes. (laughs) In the, you know, that, but then we have some people who are unbelievable about getting that profile shot every single time, or we'll get the hog in stride every single time. But we, what we do is a lot of times you'll see our crew with two photographers in the ring. And it's usually one person who's really good at confirmation shots and one person who's really good at artistic shots because that gives you both. Then you get the best of both worlds. Exactly. Exactly. That's actually a really good way to think about it, honestly. Yeah. Well, because, and you know, for advertising and I think honestly, it's been really interesting to see how, um, the hog industry has changed with the way that they advertise in with images, because no matter how good and Zach Lear has worked with us for the last several years and man, he is ungodly good at backdrop pictures. He's killer. He is killer. But when you, especially when you're talking about gilts, but even with barrows too, it's that stride, that power stride picture with all the dimensionality is the money shot every single time. Oh, heck yeah, it is. So, and it's funny where it used to be like the huge backdrop picture and then maybe a little candid picture somewhere. Now it's that, you know, the big power stride picture that's in the middle of everything and then maybe a little backdrop picture in the corner. Well, I mean, <laughs> you especially see, you for phone. hogs. Yeah. Oh, that that stride picture where uh, where a pig is just driving. Oh, yep. gosh, it's it, it's a good look. It's a great look. You can't get dimensionality on a hog any other way. That's the other thing. Yeah. You know, and for us, you know, it's trying to figure out on the cattle side of things or even on the goat side of things, we've got people in those rings who we try, who know, you know, in our small, you know, in goats and sheep, we have kids who know sheep and goats because at as much as anything, though, you have to be able to almost judge as you're taking the pictures to say, okay, I can't take a front three quarters of this shot of this, of this calf because they're bold shouldered and that's going to make it look worse. But man, they have great confirmation on the bow. You know, they have a great hip structure. So I'm going to take a back three quarters picture, or I'm going to have to angle them a little bit this way at a backdrop because that's going to, you know, accentuate this and hide that. 
so being able to kind of, and that's one of those things that we have to teach quite a bit too, is trying to, you know, make those on the fly calls of this is the best angle at this. This is not the best angle at this. There's no reason to take this picture because it's going to make them look knock kneed and bow leg. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. You're, you're basically producing uh, livestock evaluating photographers. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's but a, so many of them were raised in it that they know exactly, it, but it's well, just yeah. thinking about it in a different way. Yeah, I, I got I, thrown I, to the world wolves though because I had no idea about confirmations before we before I started. So well, let's get to that. So you you <laughs> <laughs> you we've been on a roller coaster here. Oh yeah. Okay, so I like how you put it in your email to me. You, you said I wasn't in the industry, and then I married a rancher. Yep. So. <laughs> Tell me about that process. I uh, I bet it was kind of uh, tricky at first. You kind of coming from as an outsider. It uh, was, but it was such an organic thing. Yeah. Um, kind of like I mentioned earlier, I don't experience anything without a camera in my hands. Um, I just don't like, and I um, I tend to be better at remembering things if I have a camera in my hands. Um, and so. I had a successful portrait photography business and when Charles and I got married, but of course he's taking me out to his family farm and I wanted to know how he grew up because it was so different from how I grew up. And so, you know, he would, we would go to, you know, their farm and I would take pictures of cows because I'm like, okay, this is cool. Except for I was like, okay, why is there a 1600 pound animal trying to lick me right now? I could die. And, you know, and then it went from, you know, we would go and have dinner with another ranch family and I would take pictures of their cattle just because they were, you know, taking me around the farm. And I'm like, that's just the way I experience things. Um, And I think I put a couple of those on my Facebook page. Um, And then the first time he took me to Kansas State Fair and I'm like, we're going to go sit for six hours and watch a cow show. Like there's a lot of stuff, there's stuff to do at the fair. Honey. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's a lot of rides here, honey. There's a lot of rides. A lot of deep and, like, fried food foods. You and... see them Indian tacos over there? I want one of them. I uh, know. Exactly. And he's like, no, no, no. So, um, and I'll never forget. I mean, the, there wasn't, and there was, I didn't, there was nobody in the ring. I mean, there was, there weren't a whole lot of, there really weren't ring photographers at most places. Um, definitely not committed, you know, to only being in the ring. Um, I think the backdrop photographer came in for the champion drive to the ring, but that was it. And so, I mean, but I had taken a couple of, you know, snapshots of things that are, were, I thought were just very traditionally lines and balance artistic, um, from like the formal training that I do have in photography. And just, I thought it was interesting and I thought it was a piece of Americana and was just very interested in it, which kind of ended up translating into, um, people Charles has known his whole life, you know, tagged them in because I'd met them and they were my friends now and tagged them in a couple of photos. And that's basically how legacy started. Um, it, if we could have planned and they had like this major business plan, which is significantly more of what I am, (laughs) Um, I, we would never have done it. It would never have succeeded the way that it did. Um, that's a, well, 
So when did that start? Because I remember, I mean, just six years ago, there really mm -hmm. weren't any photographers in the ring at the right. shows that I was going to. So when, when did you start Legacy? Legacy started eight years ago. Okay. Um, and we started with, and it ended up just being like this perfect transition of, we knew the guy who was taking pictures at Kansas State Fair and Kansas Junior Livestock Show. And um, he was a friend of ours. And he said, hey, I want to concentrate on this other part of my business now. Do you guys want to shoot State Fair? And that's how it happened. There was no bid process, that, but I also hadn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, but I was confident enough in, you know, and I mean, we based the way that we did things, the way that I would have done um, ballet school photography, which is what I did as well. So oh, yeah. <laughs> We didn't even talk about that. We might have to add that in yeah. the end. I'm going to add it in on the paper right here. There you go. Ballet. There we go. All right. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just like other event photography that I'd done um, and the way that we did that or that I was already doing that um, and the way we offered things online and we offered didn't do any prints on at the at the shows. Everything was offered online, but you could get prints and you could get digitals online. Um, but I didn't see why we weren't taking pictures of every kid in the ring. Um, that's uh, a good way to think about it. So, and that's still our, we commit to, especially in junior shows, I need to have at least one picture of every kid who shows because they put just as much work in to their projects as the person who's bringing home those banners. Yeah. And I mean, that's another soapbox of thing I have with our, with people we work with too, is that winning looks different to everybody. Um, you never know when it's, you know, that kid who got fourth in class, that was the last heifer that they got off their grandfather's place. Or that barrow that was seventh in class was the first one that kid ever showed at anything other than a county fair. Or that it was their last time showing or that their grandma is sick and in the hospital. And the only way that she could do this, see any of this was through the pictures. Um, and I think we've gotten, and it's one of the biggest compliments I ever get is from moms who say, I haven't taken a camera to a show in five years, six years, seven years, because I know that you're going to be responsible for that. And you're going to take that burden on. And I can just be with my kids and be present with my kids. And That's I mean, awesome. like we, when my daughter showed in Louisville this year, um, my husband and I, neither one of us took a single picture and we lined Lindy's pockets really good. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, that was her job yep. and that was, you know, they got some great shots and that's, um, you know, that's for us to be, it's such a huge gift to be able to be present with your kids at these events and be present with your present with your families um, and your friends that um, yeah, that's a big soapbox for us. <laughs> well, uh, remembering that there's different levels of winning everywhere. That's, that is a great way to go about your business, I think. And, and to tell all your uh, photographers that that work as your staff is mm -hmm. so important to every kid's journey uh, with the project just to see those pictures after and, and good pictures too, not the ones yeah. from an iPhone from their mom, four seats up in the grandstands. 
exactly. That's, that's blurry. You there you're right in the ring. You're you might be two feet from the photographer, but that's gonna be a nice photograph. Exactly. Exactly. And with a good camera with at the right angle, you know. And it was probably one of the things that was the most interesting to me and that I still probably get the most joy out of, to be honest, is um, having the opportunity to get behind the scenes pictures, whether it's the fitting pictures or the families, Um, because no matter what show you're at, you spend 98% of your time in the barn. All your memories are made in the barn. Um, You spend, you know, if you're having a really, really, really good day, you might spend 20 minutes in a ring, but not all at the same time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, you're usually by your pens or hanging out with friends in the barn. Exactly. Exactly. And to me, the whole, especially on the cattle end of things, the fitting pictures were so artistic for me from the get go. And to my knowledge, I don't think anybody was taking fitting pictures before we started doing it. Um, I just don't think people really thought to. <laughs> it's yeah. just they never really thought about it but you know people who work and feed and fit all of these animals are artists it's an art it's an art for sure oh my gosh well or i mean and i the more i've gotten to know about um the hog industry too is feeding one feeding those things and getting them to 12 o'clock is an art form all by itself it is and i am not even close to being a master of it. I stopped years ago and I haven't tried again. <laughs> I'm a major appreciator. That's as far as I'll go on that one. That's how I am too. I look at my buddies and I'm like, yeah, you guys are pretty good at this, but I'll just watch. Yes, exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm good with just watching. See, you got to know, you got to know your strengths. Exactly. Yeah. I'm a good talker. I'll, exactly. I'll talk I'm a good to them while they mix the feed. Yeah. You know, they can all do that. You talk about it. I'll take pictures of it and everybody's happy. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Let's just talk about like the quick change of photographer of photography in the industry. I yep. mean, just as you said, you started this eight years ago. Yep. Um, but I mean, still, I mean, up until like five or six years ago, I don't remember seeing anybody in a show ring taking pictures. Right. And now you can't go to a show without there being one, unless it's like a, um, like a county fair or a jackpot. Even jack right. those big jackpots have some, but. Oh, yeah, we're shooting a jackpot this week, next weekend, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, everybody wants a photographer in the ring. It only adds to the experience now to have it somebody does. in the ring getting those pictures, getting those images, and, and getting those memories for those kids. Yeah, I can remember. I mean, we even a couple of years after we started, how kids who had just aged, or even like the Reed kids from Showtimes, mm-hmm. and them saying, we have zero pictures of us showing. We have a couple of backdrop pictures. We have no pictures of us showing growing up. None. Yeah. You know, and watch it. You know, some of my favorite pictures are the pictures of those kids who just got their hands shook or, you know, the just sheer joy. Um, One of my favorite pictures that I can think of off the top of my head was I was able to catch a picture several years ago in the ring of a kid, you know, they was mid slap. And both parents are in the background with their hands up. <laughs> yes. I love it. And they were like, that is the favorite picture anybody's ever taken of our family ever. And you were blurry in the background and we don't care. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Come to think of it. Oh. Did you post that on Facebook or something? Oh, I'm sure I did. I feel like yeah, I've seen that picture going around. Ago. 
Yep. Yep. That's that's so. those are the memories though. Well, those are the emotions. Yeah. And there's a huge I mean there and the thing is is there's a spot in the industry for all of these things. I mean, exceptional backdrop photography is a must because that's how that's still the formal traditional how we buy and sell and how we measure um tradition. Yep. But the memories are in the candidates. I would have to agree with you. So, well, you started eight years ago, and and now yep. you're you're doing forty shows a year. Yep. Traveling all over the country. Yep. Not Alaska though. We got to get you up there. Uh, yeah, we got to get that. We got to get to Alaska. Now, tell me about like the branding and and marketing and social media part of Legacy Livestock. Um. So, again, we were just we were very very blessed early on to have a very um a very good following um, in the last eight years where I think we are up to 60,000 fans on Facebook, another 29 on Instagram. And then um, I'm not even sure what our Twitter analytics are. Charles does all of that. So, <laughs> um, but in doing that, again, it's one of those things where if you can learn, if you can share um, knowledge and share um all of that stuff with ranches and with shows, that's a, that's a big plus. And when we work with shows, especially, um, we're very, very dedicated to, we know that we have, and that's, you know, 60,000 fans. We didn't pay for a single one of them. Nice. And I was going to ask you, it's all, it's all <laughs> a lot of, and it, it, it's funny. Cause it's like, you know, we'll, we're still hitting, you know, almost a hundred new likes a week. And I have no idea how that is. Cause I'm like, how do we even know this many? Like I just, it just absolutely blows my mind. That's it. That's the power of social media though. It is the power of it's social incredible. media. And I think some of it comes from, um, taking images that are emotional, that are emotional and that speak to people because a lot of our stuff is shared a lot. And I know that's where a lot of it comes from. Um, but then it's just being very con very conscientious about our content um, and being very conscientious that it portrays things that are positive and portrays things that are good. I mean, when we work with the American Royal or when we work with OYE, every picture we put up has to be a good reflection of that show, a good reflection of the exhibitor, the animal and the breeder, because, you know, all of those things are a big responsibility and important to all of those things. So, um, but we also work with a number of ranches. Um, when I open up my Facebook pages, <laughs> my page manager on my phone, we've got, I think, 32 different entities that we do social media for. Um, and that's a, that's a lot. <laughs> and when I say we, I say mostly means mostly Charles. <laughs> Charles handle, handles the social media aspect. Yeah. Charles handles a lot of the social media aspect. And also, you know, during shows, um, we have an unbelievably talented group of people. Um, and our image managers at those bigger shows are second to none. Absolutely second to none. Both of our image managers have been in with us in excess of five years. Um, and they're exceptional photographers in their own right as well. 
So, um, but they help with, and they work with a lot of our social media during those, not only for legacy, but then during those shows, a lot of times they'll be working on social media for other companies (laughs) that we work with. Well, that's awesome that you have that help though. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we have bar none, hands down the most ungodly talented group of photographers and not to mention just fun people um, working with us. And, you know, so much of our success, especially in the last couple of years is, is due to, is due to that group of people and, you know, entrusting them with, um, with our brand and also with the brand of our clients. So, I mean, that's all you can do. And we always tease our internship program is also an audition program. Not a single person who works with, for us has not gone through our internship program. (laughs) That's how it should be. I was going to, well, and you know, several of the people that work for us and they're big personalities. Oh yeah. So as part of it is, is like, okay, I've seen all of your pictures, but if you are bananas, you aren't working for us or if you're a trouble starter, you're not working for us. And I have zero tolerance for drama. So it's like, if you're going to be dramatic, you're not going to be working for us again. (laughs) That's a good way to go about it. And I I have enough other stresses going on. I don't need, I don't care how good you are. I don't need that stress in my life. I'm happy that you brought back up the internships because we were talking about it earlier and then we just mm-hmm. went past it. But I wanted you to talk about your internships that you offer. Yes. Uh, is that is the application still open? Uh, are you going to be working for us this year, Cannon? I haven't filled <laughs> we, out an application, <laughs> but I might send one in. Is it open? <laughs> we actually do four different internships every okay. year. So we do an internship program for, um, it's a smaller, the smaller internship is Nebraska Cattlemen's Classic in Kearney, Nebraska, which is not a huge show, but it's a great learning experience because it's seven days long and there's a lot of marketing that goes with that show. Um, several of the shows we work like with OYE, we work with their marketing team all year long. Oh, wow. We don't just work with that show. So, um, with Cattleman's Classic, we do a lot of their year-long marketing in that week. And so they get a chance to work with, um, show administrations and they get a chance to work with social media and with a lot of other things that some other shows we don't do as much at. Um, OYE is a fun one, but it is busy. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) I have never um, been, but I want to go. I think I might go this year. Oh, you've never been to OYE? I've never been to OYE. Oh, bucket list thing. Gotta do it. I have it's, to. Oh, especially as a hog guy. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, yes. You have to go. You have to go. You can go and make fun of Zach Lear for me. Okay. I would publicly say that on a podcast. He'll Perfect. love me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he, uh, yeah. And then we also have probably my favorite internship that we do. All Okay. I like all of them, but. The one that if you really, really want to learn a lot is we do a summer internship and it's six weeks and it's all of the junior nationals we cover, some of the hog shows we cover, and as well as there's usually four to five branch visits in there. So you get to see all of these different aspects of learning how to tell the story of a ranch, learning how to work within a junior nationals program. Um, 
they learn the social media. They tend to have, it's fun to watch them look at the pictures that they took at the beginning of the six weeks and look at the, ba- the pictures that they were taking at the end of the six weeks, because it's such a neat way to um, gauge where you're at. Um, and you definitely learn the most. We're getting ready to open the summer internships, probably the first of the year. And by the end of January, those will be chosen. Um, but we haven't, we won't open that up till January 1st. And then we do actually, so we do five because then we do a state fair internship and a Kansas city internship Okay. and Kansas city and Nile are the same internship group, but, um, they overlap a little bit. Um, Nile is the Nile up in, um, Montana. Montana. Yep. I think that's awesome that you offer that many internships. It's, you know, and we never, we always staff everything with fully staffed every show. So with or without the interns, that show is completely staffed. Now, some interns will blow it out of the water and those are super bonus images. (laughs) Um, But I feel like if one, it gives you a chance to, whether you want to go into show management whether you want to go into a junior association um, or if you want to go into photography, it gives you so much more of a non-exhibitor perspective of all of those shows. Um, the contacts you make during those shows are second to none and they're different than being an exhibitor. And I think that's a huge differential. Plus you not only get the knowledge from me or from Charles, you're also getting to listen to these ranchers tell their stories and learn about that. And you're getting to learn from the other photographers that are around you and things like that, that I can't teach them because they're like, okay, don't do this. Or Heidi's going to lose her mind. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or <laughs> Charles really isn't grumpy. He's just really intense sometimes. <laughs> sometimes that's better than, gr- that's a lot of the times better than grumpy. So, oh yes, yes, exactly. So, I think you got to have some intensity, though. I mean, if you're gonna, if we're gonna have a staff, if you're gonna get have a successful yeah. company, you got to be stern and stingy about your work sometimes. Yeah, I think one of the best compliments I've had as a boss has, and it's it always is. I don't want to disappoint you, and if I can get to a point with them that they know I care about what they're doing, and they know where my expectation levels are. And I want them to be the absolute 110% best version of themselves and live up to the potential and the giftings that they've been given. Then everything's good with the world. Yeah. <laughs> so, but at the same time, I have, you know, I, I'll be the most encouraging person in the world, but I'm not a pushover. So well, of course, there's <laughs> a good balance to have. That is a, that is a great balance to have. I think it's like parenting. My kids always, the worst thing I could always ever say to them was, I'm so disappointed in you. (laughs) If my mom or dad says that to me, my heart just drops. I'm like, just be mad at me. Why would you have to, don't use the D word. (laughs) I know. Worst. One of my daughters was like 13. She goes, could you just spank me or something? (laughs) Or yell or ground me for the rest of my life, but not that. Honestly, my parents could have told me they hated me. And that's better than I'm disappointed. (laughs) Gosh, dang. All right. Well, um, 
what so <laughs> sorry speaking of the chant you're good don't worry about it i'm just yeah. i'm gonna have that as a cold open you cough and coughing really quick hey there you go <laughs> um seeing as we were talking about the quick change of media uh, like photography in the industry uh, what do you think is going to be like the future of media within the industry uh, i mean we've seen walton uh, webcasting come up quite mm-hmm. a bit in the last couple of years I don't think they're going to be the only uh, company to come up and try to take a stab at it. Yeah. What do you think would be the future of the uh, of the media industry? Well, I have to shout out to Walton Webcasting because my mom got to watch my daughter's show in Louisville um, because of them, which was fantastic. Yeah. So it's that's great. a trip they, she would never make. They let so many people watch shows all around the country. It's fantastic. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, I think that is a huge part of it. And to be able to access a show mobily is huge. Um, I think there will always be a time and a place for print media. I know there's an awful lot of people who say it's dead, it's going away. I don't think that's true. Because at the end of the day, my 20-year-old daughter still picks up the magazine every single time. You know, she'll pick up the Angus Journal. She'll pick up a catalog, sale catalog. She'll pick up. Now, she's going to look at it online, too, and she may look at it online first. But, I mean, granted, my husband and I always do that, um, pick up the print stuff. But, you know, some of it I was kind of gauging. I was like, well, is that just us because we're old? But I think there's always going to be a spot for print media. That being said, so much in the show industry of buying and selling is through social media. Yeah. Um, we are an increasingly visual society and when you're flipping through your newsfeed, you have to have that picture that makes somebody stop scrolling. And that's one of the things we talk about with a lot of our clients, um, as far as social media goes. And they're like, well, we should put this, you know, profile picture up or like 10 of our profile pictures up. And I was like, or you can put up this unbelievably cool bull picture of a bull walking towards you in the snow that will make everybody stop and look at it and then click through and look at the rest of your stuff. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's a clickbait kind of. (laughs) It is. It is a hundred percent. And I think as long as we can keep it in perspective and keep it positive, um, there's no limit to what we can do on social media. I finally started, I, you know, we have our legacy page. But then Charles and I both have our own, obviously have our own Facebook pages and Instagram pages and stuff. And I rapidly unfriend people who aren't positive on my Facebook page. That's a good thing to do. I Just because, or, and I don't necessarily unfriend them, but I do block them from my feed. Yeah. And then kind of every once in a while I'll check back and I'm like, are they done being idiots? And it's not even like I disagree with them or, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of times I agree with their viewpoints, but I just need to not see that you know that's the worst thing about social media is all the negative stuff on there i'm just like can you can we all just be positive for like five seconds please but some of the most positive things i see in my life are on social media too that's true and i think a lot of times we vilify facebook and we vilify instagram and stuff like that but there's some of the most uplifting things in my day that come through my news feed so i think is especially as people who have large followings. I mean, just in general, I think you have a separate sense of responsibility 
of what you are going to put out there and what you are going to make public. And I think you have a deliberate choice as to how you deal with things. And I think, you know, that comes a lot from my dad was in every situation you have, you, you may not have control of the situation, but you have a control, you control the way you react to it. And even if it's something, there's a time and a place for everything. And sometimes the time and place isn't on social media. So, yeah, I would and, have to you agree know, with you. something negative can happen, but you can view it in a hundred different ways. So even if something negative happens, what positive thing can you take out of that? And there will always be something positive there, even if it's the support of people around you. Yeah, it's it's definitely a double double edged sword. Yep. Uh, there's some great aspects of it, and there's some really shitty aspects of it. <laughs> exactly. And you said shitty, and I've been trying not to swear this whole time. I know. <laughs> I don't like to, um, but sometimes you just need it. You need to. Exactly. That, sometimes you just need to. I don't. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I don't like to because I don't. I don't know what the age group is technically yeah. on this, um, <laughs> but just in case that there there's some youngins listening. That's probably my guilty thing that I I have to watch that, especially when I spend if I spend a substantial amount of time on like farms and ranches where I'm with a lot of cattlemen and a lot of cowboys and a lot of feed yards and stuff like that. My mouth goes to hell. Oh, I'm I'm in a, a sailor. <laughs> I don't know how I don't cuss more on this podcast, Heidi. I'm, I'm just really, really glad that my kids are older now because just the frequency of cussing in our house. Yeah, it doesn't even matter anymore. You're just like, no. you, you say whatever you want. I don't even care. It's human exactly. nature. Yeah. I think I don't think uh, my mom knew that I said the F word first in like fifth grade. Yeah. I th and I think that's normal for a kid just to like cuss at that age. Oh, yeah. Just like whatever. Yeah. It's just a word. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, if unless you're going to disrespect somebody with it, I don't really care. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. Yeah, it's all about the positivity thing again. Going back. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you. One, oh, actually, let's I want to hear about your ballet. <laughs> OK. Photography. So yes. give me a picture. OK, so I no matter where we were growing up at, my mom was very diligent about putting me in ballet school. So I grew up dancing and it was a huge part of my life. And when I had kids, um, my oldest daughter started ballet at age three and both of my girls went through ballet school. Morgan ditched ballet at age 14 when she realized that she was ready to take the next step and start, start showing cattle pretty seriously at majors. And, um, they've always danced in the Nutcracker Oh, nice! and all of the Nutcracker rehearsals are all fall. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, you can't do both. You can't miss every rehearsal to go to Kansas City and State Fair and Louisville and all of that kind of stuff. And she's like, OK, I'm good with not dancing anymore. I mean, it was like instantaneous. I'm like, what? <laughs> so that was when she shifted into us spending an insane amount more money than we ever did on ballet. But <laughs> um, I, before Charles and I met, I was actually shooting three different professional ballet companies as well as a couple of local dance studios. So I was traveling even then um, to work with professional ballet companies on their promotional work. So went from um, ballerinas to bovine. It was ballerinas a very, to bovine. <laughs> it was a very, very interesting, uh, although I do say the experience of having to learn how to catch 
a ballerina in the air with her arms exactly right, her legs exactly right, her face exactly right, her chin in the right place, her shoulders in the right place in a half a second is an awful lot like trying to catch a hog in a power stride or catch a calf in the ring that has one second where everything pulls together. Yeah. And not to mention that lines are lines, balance is balance. And I think that's why I took to um, being able to evaluate easily was um, the experience of knowing that structure is structure. Um, art is art. And once you learn the basis of it, things come very naturally after that. I also got very, very, very lucky in my first year or two of um, shooting livestock, um, kind of got thrown from the frying pan into the fire, but spent copious amounts of time in a ring with um, people like Chris Mullinex and Scott Shockey and Kirk Steerwalt and Bob May. and Experts. Experts who like to talk in the ring a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, and they don't, I would say most people don't bounce reasons off of photographers or ask for their opinion, but they talk and they're, you know, they'll just, I mean, just almost mindlessly. will just talk about things before they start talking about them on the mic. And I learned more from that and more from, I mean, when you think about it, unless you're judging a show or photographing a show, when was the last show you watched from beginning to end? First class to final drive. Yeah. I, the last one I watched was probably when I was on a junior board. Yep. Um, but bef that, uh, before that, I mean, I would only watch like the classes where I'm helping out or that yep. I'm in. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to sit down and watch the whole thing. No. If you learn <laughs> more, and I've had, we've had a number of um, judging kids um, that have gone through our internship programs who I have judging coaches come back and go, that was the best thing they could have done because we had, um, like this last summer, we had a gal who was down at Redlands and she's a hog, hog kid born and raised. And I knew she was going to be able to see the hogs, but she shot cows all summer. And, you know, I said, honestly, whether you're going to be a photographer forever or not, what you're going to be in the ring with a dozen of the best evaluators in the country this summer from first from the first time that they talk on the mic until thus the, they slap that champion. Watch how they do it. Learn why they do it. And it will make you a better evaluator. Um, I always tease that I'm not necessarily the best evaluator of cattle, but I would say that for the most part, there's 50 judges that I know exactly what they're going to pick because I know how they judge shows. That's actually, that's pretty cool. <laughs> That, like, I think really you're cool. always going to, you're always going to go around like, you know, once you get into a grand drive, there's going to be, you know, three, four calves that are going to be, you know, really in it. And, but knowing, okay, well, this guy likes them prettier. This guy's going to value structure. This guy wants them really woofy, you know, and he's yeah. going to give up a little bit in the pretty if they've got enough, you know, and it's just, it's, and that's just learning learning what people like. So that's, actually, that's pretty cool that you can kind of, uh, you've been sitting in a show ring with these judges so long that you know what they're going to pick before they're going to pick it. And then, yeah, well, I, 
I had a bet with somebody at the side of, um, for a steak dinner at the side of a ring once. And I'm not going to name any names, <laughs> <laughs> but he was like, Oh, you know, this calf is going to win it. There's no way. I mean, like she is so far and away the best calf out there. Like this is so easy. And I was like, there's no way in heck he's choosing that heifer. And they're like, Oh, this is the, and I, you know, this is the best one for this reason, this reason, and this reason. And it was another guy who judged who was a judge, you know, a well-known judge. And I said, yeah, I know that's exactly the one that you would choose. There's no way that that judge is going to choose that heifer because it's not his kind. He's going to use this one. And he's like, oh, I'll bet you a steak dinner. And I'm like, okay, fine. Well, of course, he used the one that I said that he was going to use. Bingo. I said, I'm not disagreeing with you. Your kind and my kind are more alike. Yeah. But that is not his kind. So, yeah. But, it, yeah. Well, that's what a lot of people need to understand <laughs> sitting outside of the ring. It's not, yeah. you're not in the ring. You're not picking it. Everyone yep. has their different preferences when it comes to livestock. Yep. And that's it. It's it's kind of hard for people to understand that, especially just coming out of the judging world. Yep. Um, I mean, with a committee, just setting it up, there's one answer. And if you get it wrong, there's only mm -hmm. one way to think about it. But in reality, that's not how it goes. Everybody sees livestock and uh, evaluates them different. Well, there's so many idiosyncrasies. Yes. In types and kinds exactly. you know you've got even on i mean on different sides you know there are some people who are going to be you know in a supreme drive type of a situation there are some of those guys who are going to stick to those purebred classic breeds whether yeah. it's in hogs whether it's in sheep or whether it's in cattle they're going to stick with those you know scimitols and durocs and yorks and you know they're not going to really be as into the, you know, the into the crossbreds or yeah. the offbreeds. But then there's going to be the guys who are just going to look for, they want the prettiest, coolest thing out there. And whether it's a key or whether it's a, you know, crossbred or whatever it is, they just want the coolest one out there. And that's their product. Both, neither one of them are wrong. Yep. They're both right because it's their day. Exactly. And as a judge, you have to respect and will always respect a judge who talks the same from the beginning of the show to the end of the show, even if I don't agree with them. And I, I think that's I, something that we have to instill in kids. Is, uh, consistency is key. Yep. Consistency is key. As long as a judge, uh, when we were growing up, as and what my uncle told me is as long as the judge is consistent mm -hmm. and picking the same stuff that he's been picking all day and, and talking them right. There's nothing you can do. If you get third in the class and you thought you were first, that's just not your day. Nope. And there'll be another day. Exactly. And at the end of the day, it's just a stock show. <laughs> yes, it is just a stock show at the end of the day. And, I know uh, we always have to remind ourselves of that because I get, I mean, I get wrapped with our kids showing. I get wrapped up in it worse than any other parent out there. <laughs> and I just have to, it's just a cow show, Heidi. It's just a cow show. Just a cow show. <laughs> just That's a cow why. show. But then when you're in the ring and doing photography, it's not just a livestock show. It's your no. livelihood. Exactly. So it, it's, I bet it's hard to kind of separate that sometimes. Yes. Yes. And that's why we also are never in the ring when our kids show. And I've been very, very blessed that even if like we at Lemmy Junior Nationals last year, we had, we were the official photographers. Our kid was showing and Charles and I were able to stand at the ringside and watch our, watch our daughter win. And That's it was awesome. amazing. That's and awesome. the pictures were amazing. And I didn't take a single one of them. I took the backdrop photo, but <laughs> had to take the backdrop. You weren't even in the backdrop. 
Oh, I did. I took a, a, about a half a dozen of them without me in it and then made sure the camera was set exactly the way I wanted it and then okay. gave it to a staff member. There you go. But I was in one and I was wearing a navy blue shirt and I stood right in her neckline and I couldn't believe I did it. So. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. Like, no. Well, there goes that so, picture. I know. So now, Heidi, um, last question for you. Yes. What and I asked everybody this. What advice do you have for for young people coming up either whether they're a photographer or, or or just trying to come up in the industry what's your basis for for living a good life and being successful in this industry Be true to yourself follow your passion don't hurt anybody else and something that we've told all of our kids and things that we've told to kids that work with us and some of those kids are 30 years old, but they're still kids. And <laughs> is that you never regret doing the right thing. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's way harder than doing the wrong thing. But you will never regret doing the right thing. Um, and if you follow your passion and do what you enjoy, you're never going to work a day in your life. Um, I worked as an auditor for a little while after I got out of business school and it was miserable. (laughs) I had the opportunity to where I could go and work, um, do some stock stuff or, and do some finance stuff or open my own studio. And it was a tough decision because one was significantly less risky than the other, but I had to follow my heart and I had to follow my joy. And it wasn't easy, but I've never regretted it. Um, And I think that's it. You're not, you know, there's going to be different things that you can do that you can make a lot more money. But if you're not happy and you don't absolutely thoroughly enjoy what you're doing, you only have so many days in this life and you have to love what you do because especially in this industry. If you can do something within the ag industry, these people are your family. They're the family you choose, not the family you were given. And from somebody coming from outside of, I'm going to get all choked up, coming from outside of the ag industry, that's so unusual, is exactly how much I know that I can be broken down anywhere in this country and make one phone call. Yeah. And that's not normal, Canon. <laughs> it's, it's not normal. It's a very tight knit group we have, and it's incredible. It and we're so blessed. We all live such, no matter how hard it is, and no matter what other things we've got going on, and no matter how bad this sale might have gone and this show might have gone, we are so ungodly blessed to be working in this industry. I think you're 100% right. And I think. Um... I think uh, you just hit it right on the nail. I mean, we we think of this industry as as big when we're in it because we might not know the judge that's coming uh, in two weeks or we might not know the person that uh, bred that hog. We may have n- never talked to them. But yeah, it's so easy to get a hold of each, everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I found. That's one of the things that I found about this podcast. I mean, I can reach out to somebody and usually they're going to respond back. They're going to shoot me a text back or, or they're going to call me. And yep. I, and it's some of the people that I never thought I'd talk to in my life. Yeah. 
Well, and now we're friends, Cannon. We're, we're Heidi. We're hundred <laughs> percent friends. We're beds. I'm actually happy that you said that because I didn't want to come off too strong. Um, but I'm but happy it, that I'm happy that we're friends officially. I know. Me too. Me too. And it's you know we're both putting positive vibes out there in the world. And yes. We gotta stick together, man. I agree with you. I 100 <laughs> percent agree with you. And you need to help me with social media because I know nothing. Oh, I can. I got you. <laughs> All right, Heidi. Well, uh, hey, I really appreciate you um, taking time your, out of your hotel night. You know, I'm just going to be watching Netflix and editing pictures the rest of the night. That's, that's how exciting I am. I might come make and because I don't think Kearney, Nebraska has Uber Eats. So do they not? I, Car- last time I was in Kearney, they, it was it's a decent sized town. I bet they have Uber it Eats. It is. I don't know. I haven't tried recently. I'm usually that's my I, I'm an absolute recluse. When I'm in a hotel, when I'm yeah. traveling. And if oh. I'm in a bigger town, I'm like Uber Eats, Netflix, a football game, a basketball game, and my computer, and I'm good. Yeah, I want to take <laughs> 10 steps when I'm in a hotel room, and that's yes. to the bathroom sometimes. Exactly. I'm like, not... I have to think about it in the morning, and I'm like, do I really want to go down and get breakfast? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm good with coffee. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'm solid. Do I really, should I go get free <laughs> breakfast, or should I Uber Eats $20 for the same exactly. thing? Exactly. Uber Eats. Uber Eats, 100%. <laughs> All right, Heidi. Well, uh, we're going to have to have you on again. Uh, there's Absolutely. plenty more that we could talk about, but I really appreciate you taking time. Uh, now, you out need of your to have night. me and Jake Scott on together. Well, that would be entertaining. Yeah. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna talk about that. That needs to be a live interview. Though, that'd be way too much fun. I'm heading up to his place tomorrow night. Perfect. Well, so. you, guys, you guys need to start talking about it then. We can set up a time. Deal. Denver sounds like fun. <laughs> Denver. Ooh. <laughs> Okay, you, you, you've sold me. I didn't know if I was going to go to Denver or not, but... Oh, come on, you have to go to Denver if for nothing else just to enjoy. Yeah, so. okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll set it up. We'll set... I'll get... My people will get in touch with your <laughs> people. <will> be, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> AKA text message me later. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to text you. <laughs> All right, Heidi, thank you, and I'll, I'll talk to you later. All right, thanks, Cannon. Bye. Bye. Time's limited, so you must listen carefully. Hope you guys like that one. Uh... Heidi's just a great gal. I'm going to have to have her on a couple more times, and I need to have her on with Jake Scott. A couple of you guys that have been with me for the long haul know that that Jake Scott episode is one of my favorites uh, and a lot of people's favorites, and I think if both of them got on one together, an episode, I think that'd be pretty sweet, and I think you guys would like it because I would definitely definitely like it. Um, if you guys are going to be at Arizona Nationals, Shoot me a message. Add me on Snap. Uh, I had a couple people add me from last episode because I put it in Josh's episode. But if you didn't hear, add me at Canon18, C-A-N-N-O-N-18. Shoot me a message and tell me if you're going to be at Arizona Nationals. Uh, I'd love to see you. Uh, might be giving some stuff away. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but definitely going to be Uh, doing some cool stuff there. Sam Burmeister is going to be there, so we're going to be messing around, um, maybe taking some video, maybe doing some live interviews. Should be a good time. So again, if you're going to be at Arizona Nationals in the next week and a half, shoot me a message and let's meet up, let's talk. So without that being said, I will talk to you guys next week. Most likely, I don't know, it's, it's like during Christmas, so... Uh, we're going to see how it goes. We're going to play that up by ear. We might have another holiday episode. We'll see how it goes. But I'll talk to you then. Thanks for tuning in. I love you. Bye.